On this week's episode of the We've Seen That Podcast, we watched Wedding Crashers. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jim. Cut the music. We are back um, for the 38th episode and a special one because it's the last one we are doing before Scott, the third member of this podcast, which you could probably, you know, might start to forget about. And Adam might be, you know, the pseudo third member of this podcast eventually. Um, yeah, before he gets married this weekend, Jim, kind of a big deal. I know, right? The moral of the story is there's not going to be any more excuses. Not a single one left. That's true. That's true. Like, I he's starting to use up all of his, you know, free passes. So I'll give it. I'll give it all of them up until this week. And when this week's over, he's got no more excuses. Wait a minute. These passes have been free. I thought he owed us something. Oh, that's true. I mean, <laughs> that's that's a lot of a lot of lead podcasts. But I think he kind of was the lead anyway. Whenever he's here, so we'll see. I we've been pretty easy on him and. I think we'll just, like I said, I got to see him tomorrow, so I'll let him, I'll let him off the hook this time. But uh, yeah, this will be a fun movie for sure, right before the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a good one, I think. Wedding Crashers, very on point. Um, I'll apologize now if you hear some random squeaking. Sophie is joining us for this podcast recording, and she's uh, enjoying her squeaky purple rhino. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we'll sure the people love to hear her opinion on wedding crashers jim so don't don't be too afraid to let, oh, her, yeah. let her chirp about it um <laughs> perfect well we'll just hop right in here right away um what we're watching um jim i see you doing something that's very brave and bold uh why don't you tell me and the good people what you have been watching well we've we've talked about it at ad nauseum so i rewatched the first two episodes of game of thrones and let me tell you, that first episode fucking slaps. You know, the scene with the White Walker, you know, out in the woods and all of the dead wildlings. It's just seriously so much to get you hooked. And I think when I was first time watching season one, I was really frustrated by that because we didn't know where it was going to go. But then we actually finally get some resolution in season six-ish, right, where the White Walkers come back. So I think it was enough intrigue and delayed gratification that that really worked. Um, and at the end of episode two, spoilers if you haven't watched this like 10 year old show already, um, <laughs> but the dire wolf of, uh, Sa or, uh, Arya bites Prince Joffrey, right? On the arm. And so she chases her own wolf away and then they end up, uh, like beheading Sansa's, you know, which really sets her off on this strange path of emotional abuse under both Cersei and Joffrey when she's being punished, but her wolf never did anything wrong, you know? And I think it, it adds this grief layer to her character that sticks around for a season or two, at least, you yeah. know, and especially really kicks off at the end of season one, but we'll talk about that when I get there. Yeah. Like 
everything you said is true. It's like the White Walkers literally were the first thing you see in the show. And I read the first book, and the first book and the first season are like very They're well done. Very close. Yeah. yeah. So as far as like the opening prologue of the book is basically what we see in that opening scene. So yeah. like they're establishing right away, like how important the white walkers are. And then, yeah, I mean it, the, I guess the eventual payoff doesn't really meet all the expectation that you had. <laughs> um, yeah. Which... And, and the thing <laughs> is like all the seasons prior to the final, I would say that the payoffs, the little payoffs and even the big payoffs towards the end of each season always met or exceeded expectations so we were treated so well and then finally we knew the finale of it all was coming and they just didn't stick the landing no you know it's just Um, too bad i'm excited to go back and watch it you know i since then i've read the first four books since the first season came out um and i watched the show before i read the books and, you know, I'm interested to see how close things are now that I'm on the rewatch as opposed to, you know, watching them totally separate from one another. Yeah. I've always been meaning to finish them because I just... So is he- George R. R. Martin, but he never gets around yeah, to it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he never will. Um, just from hearing from other friends of mine that have read the books, a lot of the stuff that they have left out in the show that is really interesting in the books is, like, stuff I want to read about. So I... I've been meaning to kind of get around to it eventually. You know, they're it's a dense. They're though. beefy. Yeah, they're they're definitely dense. Um, do you plan on I watching normally, this all the way through? I normally again? did audiobooks of them. That's true. Which That's a good is idea. surprisingly good, and you can normally get them like from your library. But like, they are some of the biggest audiobooks I've ever listened to. Like, I think the third or fourth one was like forty or fifty hours long. Oh, wow, which is just insane. That is ridiculous. Um. I do intend to watch all of it. I need to stick with it. Um, Angie's a fan of most everything as well, other than the final season. So that bodes well for me, hopefully finishing it. Um, But this is at least like, what, 75 hours of content, you know? So that's no small feat either. Right. Um, Yeah, hopefully you like the last season better the second time. I will be reporting back. (laughs) I I haven't had the heart to watch, I don't think, any of them twice i i guess i'm wondering if i'm gonna be better off just ending after season seven is that the second to last one i think yeah um if i'm just gonna be happier to not watch the final season and just make up my own ending because that's what everyone did and that's why everyone was disappointed i know i can't tell you how many countless like youtube videos i watched that were all like half an hour all the theories that were just like (laughs) how game of thrones eight season eight should have ended and then they just like went off on their own tangents and like set up separate you know, each episode, like, they just created a subplot of that they fan-made, and all of them sounded way better than the actual episodes themselves. Right. It's like, God, why couldn't we have just gotten something much better? I know. Uh, I know. It's like, if uh, Benioff and Weiss had actually, like, gone online and watched some of those videos, even if they had just taken someone's fan theory, some random YouTube video with, like, five million views, you know. Yeah. They would have been incredibly successful and they would have gotten to make that Star Wars movie they wanted to make yeah, or right. so badly or whatever. Just, um, yeah. But the it's... other thing I watched was the Friends reunion. How'd that go? I saw that was on there. Yeah, color me disappointed. Like, yeah. they, they had James Corden conducting an interview and they asked some of the lamest questions. Like, were Ross and Rachel on a break? Um did everyone like the monkey of course ross didn't um so that's why the monkey eventually got wrote off the show 
um, Ross and uh, Ross and Monica's parents from the show, the characters were there and like, I don't know. It was, it, it was all a big old ad to get you to sign up for HBO max and watch friends again. Yeah. You know, because now it's on there. They did some table read stuff where like they reread old scripts and that was just a big old waste of time because it was like old people rereading old lines of things. I already know. Yeah. Um, some of the cooler stuff was they did do part of like the trivia game where they lose the apartment, but they wrote new questions. Oh, so that was kind of cool. Um, but they, they didn't play all of them. Like I legitimately wanted them to play through the whole thing and do all the questions because I wanted to try and do it, you right. know? Um, they did have some interesting behind the scenes like uh, Monica or uh, Courtney Cox used to write her lines literally on the kitchen table and she would hide them like under an apple bowl that they had there because she couldn't remember them all all the time. Or they said someone would always leave like a full on printed script in the sink of the kitchen. So if you ever see someone looking in the sink, it's because they're checking a line and not oh. made it into the show. So like that's hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, and they showed a little bit of behind the scenes footage of like... Uh, how like they would do a joke on the show, right? Because it was recorded in front of a live audience. The audience wouldn't react as funny as they wanted. So then right then and there, they would rewrite the joke, you know, cause they need to get hmm. the recording done so it can release every week. That right. was the interesting stuff. Um, and at one point uh, where Joey is running to steal the, the, the armchair in Monica's apartment, like, cause that's his seat, uh, get to it before Chandler. <laughs> uh, Matt LeBlanc ran into it tripped and dislocated his shoulder and in the very next episode they then had to explain why his arm was in a sling so they made up that he was jumping on the bed and fell so like yeah those are the interesting things yeah the little behind the scenes stories that you don't really yeah yeah and that was like 15 percent of it (laughs) it did seem kind of just like a big like you know like you said a cash grab sort of thing to try to get people to sign up because it was like two hours long it wasn't short yeah wow I don't know. It's Matthew Perry looks pretty rough. The guy that plays Chandler. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, one thing I was reading is so they'd put a trailer out for this, right? And he only has yeah. a single line in the trailer. And he's about to start to cry, it seems, because he's getting choked up because it's a big deal for all of them. Um, and so he kind of slurs his words a little bit. And people were concerned that he was drunk or on drugs again. Um, but supposedly he had emergency dental surgery the day of recording that portion. Oh, geez. So like his mouth was like numbed up or his teeth were fucked or something. So yeah. that's why he was like slurring his words. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. What yeah. Luck. Whether, whether or not that's accurate or a CYA, you know, I mean, who right. knows? Maybe a cover up. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just, I saw that and I wasn't too interested. I do like the show, but. I felt the I need know. to report back because I had talked some shit about it, like when it was coming up, and I'm like, I think this is going to be stupid. And 85% of it, I was pretty well <laughs> right on the money. There you go. Swing so it. you watched one of the best comedies ever, is what it looks like. I did. And I was just in the mood. Um, I actually watched it before Wedding Crashers. I had time one of the nights, and I was kind of like, you know what? I need something a little. You know, right along the lines, something easy to sit down and watch. So, yeah, I watched Step Brothers with uh, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, and my God, is it just as funny as the first fifty times? You know, I've seen the damn movie. God, it's I know. great. It, it it never fails to make me laugh, and oftentimes I'm laughing at a part that I didn't laugh at last time I watched it, which is. 
I think really unique because you can predict so much of it. But then I realized that there was a joke slipped in there under the radar that I didn't even notice before. And that's like really a solid comedy then in my mind. Right. Like it's just one of those movies like where the jokes never stop. Like every scene is just like a new bit for the two of them. And you can tell like, you know, I've done a little bit of like research, but so much of these, you know, really good comedies are just like the actors just like basically ad-libbing you know because they're just kind of going off off the hinges and stuff and like these two just play off each other so well throughout the entire movie like it's it's just so funny and like i said it never gets old if i had to rate it i'd probably give it like an eight out of ten and that's just one of my oh yeah i I think i think that's a really solid rating for it um it's one of my favorite comedies definitely for sure the real question is whether or not similar to caddyshack right again so much ad lib or whatever where are people actually still going to be talking about stepbrothers in 30 years from now right because that was what a mid to late 2000s yeah one like because i think we were still in high school i believe so i want to say like oh seven if i had to guess i think i had the also maybe even before we were in high school but yeah i mean and we're still talking about it now 13 years later because it it's funny and also i don't believe that there's anything that would get that movie canceled other than maybe one item um yeah it's true (laughs) it's a lot of that stuff doesn't age well but that's like in every you know comedy specifically like we'll talk about a lot of the stuff the main premise basically of the whole movie we watch doesn't really age well but i feel like they acknowledge it enough that in the movie itself where it's kind of like you know they can kind of get away with it but um but yeah, no, just getting back to his stepbrother's absolute classic. Um, what a blast. So two great comedies I got to watch this week. So that's never a bad thing. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Got, got to laugh it up when you can, right? For sure. For sure. Hype, hype, hype. Oh, yeah. Love the Be hype. Be prepared. One. I honestly, I'm just waiting for the day where I can have the ultimate hype of just confirmed um multiverse for spider-man i know although i almost don't want that to just be hype because i kind of want to be surprised if i go to the theaters but i know i won't be by the time there's been so many more articles and whatnot about that like oh my god this person's in it oh my god this person isn't the last thing i read is rhino and one other villain like from the end of uh amazing spider-man 2 are going to be in this but i mean i i've failed to put it on hype porn now because at this point it's no longer news because it's a new random character from spider-man every other week right and i mean who knows really what to believe too at this point because you know a lot of stuff you know i'm it wouldn't surprise me too if marvel was releasing things just to kind of throw people off you know yeah that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest However, how pissed would you be if you were the, like, say, the actor who played Rhino, and you read online that someone said that you're going to be in the movie, and then you're not? Like, you know for a fact you're not. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, you get excited because you think you get to do that work again or something, you know, and then come to find out that Marvel was just blowing smoke. I'd be pissed. That'd be where the tricky part would come in is, like, if, yeah, somebody was 
you know, alleged to be in the movie, but they know they're not. And then they do so like an like, interview or something. Do they yeah. come out? You know, what does what does Marvel does Marvel go to like all the past characters of these movies and say like, hey, whether you're in this or not, please don't say anything. Like, I don't know how that works. Really how much you want to bet their contracts all have an NDA in them, non disclosure agreement, just for future projects or all sorts of shit. Yeah, yeah, or like that they're only al- allowed to talk about certain talking points and that a Marvel marketing rep will provide those to you or something right i'm a a sick son of a bitch and i'd love to read one of those contracts and what it entails yeah absolutely well there's a lot of money on the line you know and they don't want to you know really spoil anything but we live in 2021 and everything gets spoiled anyway so there's really no hiding you know that that stuff's going to come out confirmed or not well before i think that release date you know yeah yeah and i and as soon as the movie drops, like the midnight premiere or whatever, there'll be articles all over the internet spoiling it for you. So you'll I have to be it. incredibly wary. I know. I, it's, I learned my lesson the hard way in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my friends on Snapchat at the time, like, not at the time. Yeah, I deleted him right afterwards. No, <laughs> but he, uh, I was at work and I worked nights at the time. So I couldn't watch it live right away. So, right. but I'm like checking Snapchat stories, and it was he just had a picture of the screen, and it was, was it the just red when, wedding. No, it was when Jon Snow got stabbed to death by all the Night's Watch uh-huh. people, and I was just like, I like saw it and like him laying there with blood, and I just was like so pissed the rest of the night because then i just got home and i like watched the episode i'm like oh when's it gonna happen i have a story (laughs) about that one too so uh i believe entertainment weekly put on the cover when he died i saw that he died i saw that episode live but then so that was at like the end of the end of a season yeah and then it's like the first or second episode of the next season is when spoiler alert he comes back and they put that on the cover, and I hadn't seen the episode yet. So oh. I found out probably the bigger reveal that he comes back from the fucking dead from a goddamn magazine cover. God. God. Because then they were still doing it weekly. They're still called Entertainment Weekly, but now it only comes monthly. It's the biggest pile of horse shit ever. Yeah. It's false advertising. Man. I know. I know. I'm pissed. But yeah, Entertainment Weekly has been and always will be on my shit list, but I love their magazine. Yeah, Game of Thrones, that was, like, one of the biggest spoiled shows, you know, because we always had leaks and stuff of episodes and everything coming out. Oh, absolutely. It was one you really had to, like, fight to avoid any spoilers, and I did did a good job for most of the time, except for that one instance, and it just happened to be, like, one of the biggest fucking shocks (laughs) in the show. I'm just like, god damn it. (laughs) But anyway, what else do we got on here, Jim? So, first piece of hype. Did you see the Joaquin Phoenix Joker? I did. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was really good. Kind of scary, which was good. Also, it's getting a sequel. Uh, The director of the first one, Todd Phillips, is currently working on a script for Joker 2. Batman is not allowed to be in it, but other uh, DC villains are allowed to be in it, is kind of what I've read in terms of other characters we may see. Yeah, interesting. I'm glad it's the same director. I'm just curious, though, as to how much they're going to embrace, like, the entire DC, I guess, universe. Not saying this is going to be, maybe it will, maybe it won't, connected to any other projects, but, like, how much, yeah, like, more 
lore are they going to bring in to this movie? Because this movie is definitely a standalone. You know, it, the it, first one was, and it should have stayed Wayne, that way in my opinion. Yeah, Bruce Wayne is in the movie as a young kid, but you know, that's really it's really just like I always thought like. One funny meme I saw was, like, Joker created in the comics by, like, being thrown into a, a fucking vat of whatever, chemicals. And yeah. And it's, like, 2020 you th- or 2019, you throw the Joker into society, and he yeah. comes out fucking crazy. It's, like, that's pretty true. People yeah, I mean, because, I mean, one of the biggest things was his failed comedy and being a clown gigs, you know? Like, that's what led him to this path to one degree or another and feeling like he wasn't accepted by society. Yeah. But... Yeah, I'm so interested to see what they'll do. Do I wish they would have just stayed away from it because I'm anti-sequel? Yeah. But it, it's something that I will end up seeing, right? So I know they've oh, sold for the sure. ticket. Right, yeah. Just to see him play that role again is enough for me to you know buy it, buy it again. But like I said, I mean, what they decide to do is going to be very tricky because if you get too comic booky. Are people fans of the original gonna hate it, or you know, vice versa? Like, I don't know. It's gonna be it's yeah. Because be the best part about it was it was so rooted in reality, yeah. which is part of what made it like really scary. I would, I would say that that movie is about as close to horror adjacent as any uh, comic book movie can get. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know, which was part of what made it good. But anyways, Absolutely. next piece of hype. Apparently, Seth Rogen has been working on a computer-generated animated. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. It is set for an August 11, 2023 release date. And hmm. if if anything's true, I want fucking stoned out turtles in the subway under the city eating pizza and saying cowabunga, I am 100% down for this. I think Seth Rogen is the perfect person for this That'd franchise. Be, yeah, his his like creative touch I think could definitely work, especially if they're going the yeah, the animated route. You know, that, that I think we've tried to do our live action turtle movies and I didn't think they were that great. So I agree. Um, there's nothing wrong with making animated movies. Fucking, I think Spider-Man, you know, Into the Multiverse. Uh, yeah, Into the that, Spider-Verse. Or Into the Spider-Verse, yeah, which was fucking amazing. You know, proves that you don't always have to, you know, make everything, you know, live action or... You know, you can still make a good movie. And Pixar's been doing it for years and stuff, too. It's like, all you need is the right people and the right content, and you can kind of put it together, hopefully. Well, and think about, like, all the additional options in terms of character things they can do, or, like, new and interesting villains or classic villains that they can introduce because uh, because they are not limited by what a human can do, you know, or fine even how a human can interact with a cg eight foot tall turtle you know i think this is going to be good i have tentatively large amounts of faith faith in it yeah we still got about two years yeah (laughs) i know we'll see this feels like one of those things where depending upon how the studio reacts i could see that we don't ever hear about this again and it never gets released depending upon how far he tries to push the envelope but i hope he tries to push the envelope absolutely uh next thing paul bettany has done an interview and says he currently does not have a contract with marvel so after the introduction of white vision it sounds like he may not be in something for a while here specifically i can only assume he won't be in uh the doctor strange movie where wanda is gonna be yeah so interesting 
and I guess I'm wondering, because White Vision did speak in WandaVision, correct? And it was his voice still. So yeah. I'm wondering if maybe there's a situation where he would be a silent character and, you know, then they just CG it all in there because he's a heavily CG-based character anyways. True. Um, But I, I don't think they'd be able to get away with doing something like that, you know? Right. I mean, it, it would make sense. He kind of flew off, you know, and we were left with him probably being forced now to try to rediscover himself i guess right so it doesn't surprise me that you know a comment like that could mean for like yeah another couple a couple years or a couple movies you know we'll see um and i guess like if if marvel's good at one thing it's generally good at wrapping up loose ends or storylines that it starts so i have to think paul bettany will be back for more vision at some point because they would not just let that character walk out into the universe and not do anything more with him i agree and especially with how they ended the show with him flying off like that and with how popular wandavision was and the two of them together like people loved seeing those two characters together so i don't think they would just yeah like you said leave it hanging like that um and there's unanswered questions too because red vision didn't he like upload all his memories into white vision and that's quote unquote how he beat him yeah. So if if you want to get real theoretical, like if he decides to incorporate those memories into himself, we could have a live walking vision on our hands again, you know, like the original to one degree or another. Yep. Um, yep. Whether or not that's too cliche of a story for them to try and tell, that's another conversation. We will see. So this one I put in here with the intention of really making fun of it. <laughs> Warner Brothers and Discovery have announced their new title and logo they are called warner brothers discovery as thrilling as that is and their tagline is the stuff that dreams are made of and their their logo looks like the biggest like 1995 word art that i've ever seen it's so have you seen it it's like i haven't yet it's just yellow bubble letters like rounded off and it's I don't know for whatever reason this was a news story that i saw and it like people were talking about it like it was news i just think it's stupid you know it's two companies are merging whether or not they want to call themselves anything else but this is this is silly right it doesn't even seem that creative yeah i i I guess i would have hoped for more from supposedly like two of the biggest creative companies in the world that are now merging to be one of the biggest god it's gonna be so weird how they just combine everything i don't know you have didn't... to think, you know, these are all United States based companies, uh, or most of them are. Many of them are. These two and spe- these two specifically, I believe, are. At some point, the U.S. government is supposed to step in and say, like, "Hey, no, this is a monopoly on <laughs> yeah. whatever." Right? It's an antitrust issue under the Sherman Act, you know. So I, I think, I think they could step in and do something. Probably not yet, because there's like two other equivalently sized companies, right? So, I don't know. It, it, it's a real question about what's going to happen as these things try and consolidate more. But I think as as often as they consolidate, I think you even see some split. They, those just don't make quite as big of news, you know? So Right, right. We'll see. And we'll see whether or not this... They, they said they were trying to just make shareholder value when they announced this merger, right? Which is whatever how do you make shareholder value is it an increase in their stock is it more revenue is it a higher net income or more subscribers no one knows right but 
if this isn't successful, you know, they could try and reverse it eventually, you know, mm. but I have no idea what they'll do and they haven't even consummated the merger yet. Yeah. So this is all it's... just so preliminary that it's ridiculous. That's true. It's just such a big and odd, like coming together, you know, I don't know. Like Discovery... well, it's all, it's all scripted content from Warner brothers and then it's all like reality content from discovery. Right. right? Because th- that's, I mean, I'm not sure I know of a single discovery project that is scripted, you know, like they do like animal planet and HGTV, um, obviously discovery channel, you know, I mean, it's all of that is like documentary style or like house hunters is like, you know, again, still kind of documentary style following people right. as they find their new homes, yeah. you know? So it, to me, it does not feel like these two companies should work well together because they just have vastly different creative processes, but we'll see if it works eventually. True. Side note, did you see, have you seen AMC's stock price? Oh my God, yes. I, I'm still <laughs> sitting on my shares. I'm up. I'll look at an update, but as of like lunchtime, I was up 650%. I missed out on, I don't even want to say how much money when i initially bought in if i would have held through it all and would have sold at some point today i i could have made like a six grand profit how many shares did you buy because like i'm not a really aggressive guy i only bought five shares oh like right when the new when like it was because gamestop was freaking out at already at this point Mm -hmm. and then like the whispers about amc were going on so i bought 107 shares of amc at four dollars and fifty cents holy shit because i bought in at nine yeah right so i was not prepared to buy that many shares at nine dollars a share oh i know four dollars and like fifty cent average and it hit it hit like sixty eight dollars today yeah it, it settled the end of the day at sixty two fifty five so i am officially <laughs> up um 610 percent, which is 269 dollars on my 40 dollar investment that's more than you had i know i well the thing is it's got to stay there right and i'm the tax guy so i'm no i'm not i know i'm not going to sell it at this point because short-term gain is taxed at a higher rate than long term so i need to sit on it for a year i believe that this stock was going to go up anyways because stuff is getting back to normal movie theaters are opening back up amc actually announced and this should have been on high porn so i'm glad we're talking about it amc has announced that fully vaccinated individuals will no longer have to wear masks in their theaters well, um, and they've, yeah and they've i believe really they're smart. cutting down on like the limited occupancy stuff too so like as things open back up i firmly believe that amc is going to keep going wild whether or not reddit is fucking with it and i think i think my marcus is going to blow up here relatively soon too because um, I bought five shares of each. Yeah, AMC's been really smart too with the money they've made. You know, they haven't just sat around and like rested on their laurels with their stock rising. They've you know been able to pay off debt and all sorts. Yeah, they of stuff issued new them. shares to bring in yeah. cash. Right. You know, and I mean, from what I understand, like GameStop and Marcus and many of the other ones that people have, uh, people on Wall Street bets and so on have been fucking with. Like they just kind of let the numbers go and like tried to ride on the publicity. Yeah. But like GameStop made fine or GameStop AMC made financial moves that puts them in a better position to come out of the pandemic even stronger, right? right? Because they they were pushing bankruptcy. It was scary for them as a company, and somehow they're coming out of the pandemic stronger because of some idiots on Reddit. <laughs> Did you, <laughs> you see know? what they said too? Because um, they're leaning into it now, like full blown, like as like, they should. Um, they came out and said that anyone 
I'm, I guess you must have to prove it or something. If you are own any shares, like public shares of the company, you can get free popcorn. Adam. Fuck yes. <laughs> that's so at cool their th- at their theater yeah it's like so they're just playing it perfect you know oh my god yeah because i mean they're, they're not going to give you free tickets but you know if if you think about it like that bucket of popcorn is probably ten dollars right yeah but you know they they make that ten dollar bucket of popcorn for like six fucking cents you know right. it's insane so they're it seems like they're giving away a whole bunch but they're giving away nothing yeah, I, mean, I love it. It's awesome. Like, I, you think about it, what costs most about the popcorn for them is probably honestly just the plastic fucking bucket. You know? Yeah, either that or the fucking electricity. One yeah, of the two, you know. Exactly. So I just saw that headline today and I'm like, God, this is great. They're just eating it up. And I'm like, yeah, they should. You know, it's perfect. You can basically, they're acknowledging that they were pretty much saved by a bunch of fucking new day traders yeah on a, right on, on a reddit thread you know it's the the it's... most exciting thing i think is so like in february when all that stuff was happening i put a thousand dollars into the market bought some various stocks mostly for fun because i was like if i lose a thousand dollars i'm not gonna cry myself to sleep i'm right. gonna be pissed but i'm not gonna cry that was the line um and I bought two shares of Apple because I'm like, Apple generally goes up, you know, you know, it would be a safe hedge if everything else kind of tanked, you know, because I bought AMC and Marcus and so on. And my AMC shares are now worth more than my Apple shares. Yeah. <laughs> and that to me is just like the highlight of like cool things to happen. It's nuts. Yeah. I was just watching it today. Yeah, I think it was up like 95% today or something. It was just insane. Yeah, in a single day. It, it went uh, per share... It was up $30 per share. God. You know, and and so, yeah, it doubled in value just today. It's incredible. I love it. I love it. It's absolutely wild. My my worry is now I'm going to watch it tank like GameStop did for a while, but even GameStop is still going up. That's See, you just had to have diamond hands, Jim, like they said. I know. (laughs) I told Angie that if GameStop hit 50 bucks, I would buy like 100 shares or something. Yeah. And... It did hit 50 bucks, and I was like, you want to know what? That's kind of a lot of money all on one, so I didn't pull the trigger, and now it's at like $265 a share. <laughs> I'm so mad at myself. Like I said, I had like 100-some shares at a, like a $4.50 average of AMC, and I could have made like whatever. A shitload six, of money. Yeah. Six and a half grand or something. God, it's so frustrating. It, it, it's oh, well. woulda, coulda, shoulda. That's the yeah. thing, right? You know, and... I'm trying to just have fun with it now because it's doing some stuff. But uh, like I said, I'm not selling this stuff before next February because that's when I hit my long-term holding period. Right. Oh, well, that's, it's just fun. It's fun to watch. We'll, we'll keep in, keep an eye on it for sure as, as things go along here. (laughs) Alrighty. And now the moment you guys always wait for, um, the review of the movie, uh, we watched Wedding Crashers. Jim, why don't you tell the people where they can find it and what the synopsis was? Okay, so Wedding Crashes is currently available to stream on HBO Max, um, starring Vince Vaughn, Christopher Walken, and uh, Owen Wilson, John Beckworth, and Jeremy Gray, a pair of committed womanizers who sneak into weddings to take advantage of the romantic tinge in the air, find themselves at odds with one another when John meets and falls for Claire Cleary. Again, this is a really solid uh, really solid synopsis. This was directed by David Dobkin, written by Steve Faber and Bob Fisher. Uh, it bears mentioning as well that it also stars uh, 
Rachel McAdams, Isla Fisher, and Jane Seymour are the biggest ones. You know, it's kind of really a stacked cast if you want to think about it, you know? Yeah, it's crazy to think that this movie came out in 2005. I think we all said, you know, last week that we were a little late to it coming on, or if we might have talked about that in in just some when we were talking to each other. But yeah, another just classic from the mid 2000s, you know, like a lot like Step Brothers and stuff. This was your first time though, right? You said watching it? Yep, very first time seeing it. And we were discussing off offline. I accidentally grabbed the unrated version <laughs> and you grabbed the regular version because I I was an idiot. I didn't know it was on HBO. Yeah. So I ended up renting it from fucking Prime for four dollars. But I, uh I could think of I, worse I guess I, movies, I supposedly though. got the funnier one is how most people would see it. Right. I just a lot of going back, a lot of the scenes, there's not too many. You know, there's a couple of like major places they go but like some of the scenes i remember and i watched the original they just lasted longer than i remember like specifically i mean we'll get to it but like the Mm -hmm. football the football scene goes on for like 10 minutes i thought that lasted like two minutes like for real after watching it like the first time well and this movie's rated r already so like and we'll get to it but i'm pretty sure that the unrated version basically just means more nudity um so we'll discuss that when we get there and, you know, some of the gratuitous, uh, like I said, nudity that are that we're going to see in this movie. Because it's two guys going to pick up girls for sex at weddings. I'm not sure how much more of a basic premise you can get. Right. But like but you so said, we, the synopsis was good. This was another yeah, good very one. good. <laughs> so we start off in what feels like an interview room. Uh Jeremy, played by Vince Vaughn, and John, played by Owen Wilson, are what appear to be divorce mediators. Um, There's a husband and wife there. They're arguing about who is going to get the frequent flyer miles in the divorce. Uh, When the wife says she wants them, the husband responds, why don't you kiss my left nut? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And in the end... Jeremy and John just start really smooth talking, the two of them. They're talking about how the real enemy here is the institution of marriage. Um, Just put your swords away for now. Let's make a deal here. And, you know, if you guys want to throw any frequent flyer miles our way, we're not going to question that. We can allocate these however you like. And eventually um, the husband gives the wife the frequent flyer miles. I just really love Vince Vaughn in this movie because it's just like the perfect role for him. And he just like (laughs) the way he just goes off on tangents. Like this is like the first time we see it where he's just talking about like the intensity in his eyes and how much he cares when he's like telling the the, this wife about how she can go find a Latin lover and that he can like dance all up up alongside her right next to her and like drop drip sweat on her and he's just like staring her in the eyes like so intently like don't you want that you know it was just like guy just like his his just unintentional like it is comedy he, but he like makes it the, so his, earnest his, his delivery is just so perfect and it just cracks me up there's like another one we'll get to later on at the house that just kills me also but right yeah right well, away we're gonna see that these two guys are two kind of different characters at first they're both womanizers and john turns very quickly to being a hopeless romantic 
uh jeremy takes that same turn just way later in the movie like 90 percent of the way through the movie um it's a Oh, excuse me. So now we flash back to their offices where they are mediator lawyers, I guess, you know, drawing up these contracts for allocating money between divorcees. Um, And we find out that apparently John lost his parents when he was very young, right? Exactly a month before his birthday. So an assistant is bringing in a sleeping bag so that Jeremy can stay at John's house for his birthday. He does it every year just to kind of keep an eye on him and make him feel a little bit better. So, I mean, that's a little bit heartwarming. Right. Yeah. Um, it's is this, this is where she, he kind of goes off and then his assistant asks, tells him he can like go on a date or he, she knows a girl. And yeah. He just she's goes, got a girl for him. And, and he just goes on and on. And I couldn't get all the jokes because they were coming so fast. He's like, you know, I, I don't know this girl. Do you do the ass out hug because you don't want to brush crotches or something like that? <laughs> Uh, do we end up playing a game perhaps called just the tip? (laughs) Yeah. And he just like continues on with just like, you know, how am I going to know if she's interested? What if I'm not interested? And what if I play it off as not interested and then she gets interested, but I'm already not interested. And then it's just a big, you know, we hate each other. (laughs) Like it was just like, again, like he's just like at the top of his game in this. And I just think this is like the perfect movie where he just gets to just, who knows? A lot of this could be, I'm assuming ad lib i didn't really do any like i kind of hope so research about it but yeah it just fits the bill of like a guy just kind of like going off and everyone just kind of sitting back and letting him you know just see what happens you know it was it's just so funny yeah and i think i want to rewatch this movie because taking notes on it i was a little bit distracted you know so i know some of these jokes hit really well and i just wish i could have totally absorbed them um this scene ends with him beeping John into his office. Again, John is Owen Wilson and Jeremy is Vince Vaughn. Um, and saying, you know, we got three really big weeks coming up here for wedding season. They apparently have booked invites to 13 weddings already, and only two of them have cash bars. So that means the rest, I assume, are open bar. Right. Um, and Vince Vaughn or Jeremy pulls out two fake purple hearts <laughs> that they're going to use... Uh, to pick up girls at uh, at the weddings. Yeah, so right there is like proving us how you know deep or desperate these guys are willing to be. Um, because that's about as low as you can get. You know, pretending like you have a purple heart to try to impress a woman or something like that. Yeah, I was reading that actually there was a lot of backlash about them using the purple hearts here, and there actually was like alongside the release there was like a timing that like if you wear like a fake military badge it's like a crime and you can be fined and this movie came out very shortly before the passage of that law Mm. you know so like there were groups of veterans groups that would uh boycott the movie which was kind of interesting is it okay to fake that you're a veteran and were wounded in combat no is it funny Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> for a kid. Yeah. I mean, for you got to think about like the time and place. I mean, it's it's a movie, you know, if we can just, you know, suspend our belief for like, you know, two hours and just watch some guys make fools of themselves, you know, I can there. It doesn't really offend me or do I find it, you know, a little appalling maybe. But, you know, I like you said, it, it's it's funny for the sense of the movie. And it helps you understand the characters, at least, 
in this part a little bit absolutely yeah i can't speak for any veterans no because i don't know very many but i have to think that there is a group that would be highly offended by this and i think that there is an equally sized group that would think it was fucking hilarious and a lot in the middle that are just i don't really care right right so i don't know i think we have to take you know any any of that sort of stuff with a little bit of a grain of salt but anyways at this point they roll up to a wedding and as they're pulling up they're pulling out their yarmulkes and putting them on (laughs) um it's relatively clear that neither of these guys is jewish um but that's the wedding they have booked for the day so that's where they're going during the ceremony itself john is already checking out a girl and as she looks away because they do make eyes with each other he puts eye droplets in his eyes to make himself cry and she just looks over and sees how overcome he seems to be yeah she's just digging it and jeremy's kind of eyeing up a woman in front of them too who doesn't seem like too impressed at first i don't think if that's just the same wedding i think yeah and yeah. but she does warm up to him though is right. what it seems because i believe they end up dancing later uh they're at the wedding reception then they are just hamming it up hamming it up there is a montage of like them making another guy laugh so hard that his yarmulke falls right <laughs> off um which i thought was hilarious um jeremy is doing some close-up magic for the kids um as is apparently customary at a jewish wedding uh the bride and groom are generally hoisted on chairs and danced around the room by people and both john and jeremy are part of this yep um and i forget which one it is but one of them even gives a speech ends it with saying in the words of the old country laheim (laughs) and just gets everyone on their side so quickly and i think that maybe they're sociopaths maybe they're just legitimately funny guys or fun guys to have at a wedding but no one dislikes them at this point you know everyone loves that they're there they just don't know that they're there on a lie i think these guys are the perfect example of you know you can do anything as long as you do it with conviction and you can convince people you know like they're so confident and they like um like coming up here in a little bit well it'll be hard to kind of talk about we get we go through like than just an epic montage of them going through these three weeks of weddings, you know. Um, but they, like, have different names for all of them for the most part, and they always have little bits. Like you said, um, Jeremy was doing magic, or John. I, fr- I thought it was Jeremy, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think so. Because um, he, he then subsequently does balloon animals at one point, so right. that seems to be his shtick, maybe. Yeah, and John seems to be a little more involved with, like, you know, dancing with the kids or, like, you know, yeah, he, giving he's, them... Yeah, he plays it a little bit more romantic. Jeremy plays it a little bit more fun. Right, right. So, yeah, they definitely have, like, their story straight and everything going into it. So I think they're just, yeah, like I said, anything done with conviction, you can convince people, you know, you belong, essentially, you know? Right. So you're right. Now we hit a montage of various weddings. They have what appears to be um, a stereotypically Indian wedding, uh, an Irish wedding where they give fake names that are incredibly stereotypical for both situations. Um, What appears to be an Asian wedding of sorts from like Southeast Asia. Um, And this to me is maybe the worst point in the movie just because so much of it is based upon stereotype right um and this part doesn't seem to age quite as well because there are cultural differences amongst these people 
but should that be the butt of a joke and should they be making fun of like names that those people may or may not have i think that's maybe the worst played joke in the whole thing yeah and when you know and all of it ends eventually with a culmination of just i do remember now that this part was now that we're talking about it in in the movie the version i saw it all just ends with them you know bringing ladies to bed and we just get like a little 30 second montage of like eight or so different women just falling onto the bed with their tops off so i mean yeah and i didn't know if that was just in the unrated version i saw but it's a lot of women that they convinced or had do these nude scenes or topless scenes where literally it's two second clips of each one just falling backwards onto the either bed john or jeremy's you know topless it's not it doesn't really add anything to the movie right because they start this short montage with two girls in their underwear and that was no different than if all the rest of them had been wearing you know underwear instead you know so i don't know it doesn't really add anything it just felt a little tacky yeah this just kind of hammers down you know they are definitely scumbags you know at this point i mean there's no other way to put it like you you're you're crashing weddings just to meet girls to hook up with them um it's pretty shallow you know it's funny i guess for the sake of the movie and then but it's really the funny parts are the stuff in between like what they're doing at the rehearsal or the you know the the after parties and stuff like that i think that what we've seen thus far is the least funny portion of the movie i think it only goes up from here because lots of this is based upon stereotype and lies, you know, as their characters, which, it, you know, if their characters are liars, they are or they aren't. You know, that's nothing that can be controlled. But from here on out, I think it gets much better. Um, we get a very quick scene that I think is important where John is laying in bed with a woman and he says, Sarah, it's like I don't even know you. And she says, it's Vivian. So would you say that you're completely full of shit or just 50%? Um, and he seems to be legitimately like questioning whether or not he wants to do this anymore, like pick up women um, at weddings and so on. So we'll see where that goes because it certainly develops. Right. That's like your first hint that he might, you know, be in this life, but at the same time, always holding out hope that he might find someone, even at this right. point. Even at this point. Um, but yeah, like from here, it's now we're in like John's office, I think, and Jeremy comes in with like a newspaper about right a really high end like wedding involving like the secretary of his secretary, secretary of uh, Treasury, Cleary Treasury, yeah, um, and his daughter is getting married or something, and it's going to be like a huge, fancy, high class like yeah. There's going to be two hundred single women and three bands at this wedding. It's kind of yeah. what they do to tell you scale. Right. Um, the, so John at this point already is, or, um, is trying to get Jeremy invested, but Jeremy seems to be like, not so interested in going to this one. Um, and John quotes to them, quotes to him, rule number six, do not sit in the corner and sulk. It draws attention to you in a negative way. Draw <laughs> attention to yourself, but on your own terms. That's funny. Um, <laughs> And so what we find is that these rules have been passed on to them about how to wedding crash by Chaz, character that we haven't met and won't until the tail end of the movie. Yeah. Um, and apparently Chaz lived at home with his mother until he was 40 and his mom <laughs> tried to poison his oatmeal. 
<laughs> which at the end it makes sense you know the relationship between him and his mother seems a little strained but just a little bit yeah <laughs> so here we're out front of the church for this wedding people are being greeted on the church steps Secretary Cleary, played by Christopher Walken, is greeting literal Senator John McCain um, with with Secretary Cleary's wife, Kathleen, played by Jane Seymour. Um, it's at this point that Jeremy gives to John a, van- a manila folder of uh, all kinds of info on the family. It is disgusting and creepy how much information <laughs> is in there. Yeah, especially when we see... I don't mean to jump ahead, but it's a good place, especially when we see um, John speaking with Senator Cleary like later on after the ceremony. It's like, oh, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> like you did your homework in a really <laughs> creepy way, you know? I can't say that if I'm going to a wedding where I'm not going to know multiple people, that like I don't try and, you know, learn a little bit more about people because that's kind of the point of a wedding, right? To meet new people, you know, learn about a family or two families combining, right? So learn about them and try and, you know, then have a decent conversation. But this is another level. This this crosses a line in terms of privacy. It's insane. But um but yeah, anyway, right around here is where the two spot, you know, I guess I don't know how to word it, like the two women they want to hook up with i guess or at least yeah so there's gloria cleary one of the daughters of the secretary played by isla fisher is it isla or isla i i've heard it both ways son of a bitch that's unhelpful i know whatever we'll go on to the one that i do know and then claire cleary played by rachel mcadams that one i got down um she is i just want to say is gorgeous in this movie by the way they both are i had a huge crush on rachel mcadams for the longest time after like seeing this movie for the first time it's unfortunate (laughs) that she wasn't like i thought she'd be like a bigger star to be honest you know yeah i feel like she pops up every now and again in like these like sleeper roles you know in low low budget or like less popular things and i think she always kills it when i see her but i wish she would have been a bigger star yeah and she's great one thing i want to call out here is john sees her specifically john and this is like major love at first sight vibes. Like he's just staring and, you know, slow-mo cam, you know, with a little bit of music, you know, to me, this read as like, he's met her before and that's why he's here is because he knew her, but we come to find out that they're perfect strangers. So I guess like him seeing her at this point doesn't quite make sense with all the weight they're putting on it. Fine. If you want to believe in love at first sight, you can. Yeah. But I think it would have been better to serve this sort of scene later on once they have an actual conversation. Right, because he's, yeah, he's, like, pretty speechless. I think um, Jeremy's kind of, like... Is he, like, makes, trying to get his attention, I makes, think? Yeah, or get his attention, yeah, and he makes some snarky remark after seeing um, Gloria. You know, he's kind of just like, oh, you know, not like a... We don't get, like, that love at first sight vibe from him when he first sees Gloria. You know, he's just interested. And then, yeah, but definitely when they pan to John, it's like, yeah, there's something there more than you just wanting to, like, you know, hook up with her for the night or something. Right. So at at this point, they come up with their backstory. They are uh, brothers from New Hampshire with a company that makes... uh, linens or clothing i forget which um but this is what john suggests but jeremy says he wants to be a maple syrup company from connecticut instead you know and they end up landing on the new hampshire story yeah um 
So as they go in, they all take their seats, and Jeremy spots a girl in a fancy hat, to which John says, don't go for girls in hats, they tend to be very proper. (laughs) (laughs) To which Jeremy responds, oh yeah, the proper girl in the hat just eye-fucked the shit out of me. (laughs) At at which point, the people in front of them turn around and very pointedly look at them. (laughs) Yeah, like, they're just not bashful whatsoever and like clearly at this point they're not like holding back their volume either because people around them can listen to everything they're saying but which happens later on too like at this wedding oh i don't want to we get to it i guess from here yeah, we'll get to it when we get there it's at this point that people fill in next to them in the pew and they ask how do you know the groom and john says we're uh the sons of uncle ned who is the brother of Aunt Liz. Yeah. And he says, Liz sends her best. To which the person sitting next to them is very taken aback. And he says, Liz, Liz is dead. She's been dead for years. And Jeremy chirps in, you know, she sends her best from beyond the grave. (laughs) Trying to save it. I don't know Um, if they knew. Did they say, did they know if there was an Aunt Liz or is this just. It's revealed right here. So. Jeremy says, rule number 32, you you don't commit to a relative unless you're absolutely positive they've got a pulse. And John says, rule number 16, give me an up-to-date family tree. Hmm. So yeah. it appears that this was in the manila folder, but it was not up-to-date. Jeremy finally ends with rule number 76, no excuses, play like a champion. <laughs> God, just goes to show you is like how in-depth this whole thing is and like how actually almost sociopathically the research is going into it like yeah that's just insane you know god well yeah because i mean the question always is how do you know the bride or groom that's the first question anyone asks at any wedding i fully intend to be answering that question like 10 or 12 times at scott's wedding there you go i'm gonna ask you just so you're on your toes you got your oh just just so that you know how i know him okay i'll ask you too so be prepared fair enough (laughs) um (laughs) It's at this point that uh, the bridal party marches in. Um, as the bride is coming in, John says he bets the bride will cry. They take the bet for $20. Um, John wins 20 bucks. They bet on the reading that it's going to be uh, from Corinthians. Paul, for Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. John is right again, um, which is the love is patient, love is kind, uh, loves, love does not boast passage that is stereotypical at weddings and if these guys have been doing this for years they've obviously heard that specific passage i'm sure a hundred times yeah for sure it's very popular i kind of i I like this scene though because it's like yes it goes to show you they've been doing it for like a long time but it's just a funny like they're just throwing little side bets like little sports gambling like in the crowd about like which different passages are going to be read or you know like if she's going to cry or not it's just a little like subtle like humor thrown in there during the thing i thought was kind of funny i think this is hilarious i'm absolutely there for it and in reality i would like to offer to you a bet right now i bet twenty dollars scott will cry at the stand his wedding what whether it's like when he makes a toast or whether it's on the altar i think he'll cry do you want to take that bet Okay, do you just want to just at any moment in the night or in the day? Sure. Yeah, if he cries at okay. any point, I get 20 bucks. All right, I'll take that bet. Okay. Just okay, for fun. Sweet. We're in. We'll share it over <laughs> a, a glass of scotch that I owe you to. So even though it is an open bar, but. Yeah, I was going to say, very excited about that. You know, 
Uh, of the 13 weddings I've booked for myself, his is not one of the cash bars. Yes. Thank God, Scott. Okay. So we've got our bet wagered. I think Scott will cry. Anthony does not. Tough it out, Scott. I don't know. You're not going to listen to this before the wedding, but. Yeah, we'll release this on Sunday, the day after. <laughs> um. So at this point, the bride and groom are exchanging vows. And of course, they wrote their own. Claire is the maid of honor and is laughing into her bouquet over uh, the the vows. Because it's. They have this whole metaphor about sailing. And yeah. the priest finally ends with, you may now kiss the first mate. It's just cringy, and it's so funny that this is where John again is like just infatuated with Claire because mm-hmm. you know he gets her like vibe. You know he thinks it's probably hilarious that she's laughing at their ridiculous vows. You know it's because it's you know they're very. We find out they're fairly similar. They have like you know a very similar sense of humor and everything. Um, yeah, this is a funny scene because it's just like. I want you to be my, you know, ship. Yeah, my port in a storm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty cringy. So like, it's funny that they throw in like the maid of honor laughing. You know. Pretty okay. Good. Yeah, and I, I I'm a big fan of this because I I don't know so much about weddings can be stereotypical, unfortunately, which is part of what this movie plays off of. That like you know, whether you want to take the normal vows that are generally done. Or if you want to write your own, either way, people see it as a cliche. Like, you can't win with that, I feel. Right. You know? True. Um, They end up having a reception outdoors at a yacht club. Um, It's at this point that John and Jeremy roll up. Of course, Jeremy immediately grabs some hors d'oeuvres and starts <laughs> stuffing his face. John is going to go drop off what he refers to as a box of fresh Wyoming air. Uh, at the gift table so that means i'm assuming that that box is empty it's and just empty. not leaving a gift <laughs> right i like this scene too because as he obviously approaches the gift table it's claire claire's there so that's kind of mm-hmm. why he wanders over there um and it's just funny like when he's on his way jeremy tells him if he sees any crab cakes to like grab him a few or something along his the way, way. <laughs> yeah that's funny um but yeah he walks over to the table and he sets it down and he starts just kind of guessing you know what's in each wedding gift box which i thought is also funny because it's clear that you know that since they've been to like a thousand weddings you know he can probably kind of guess what most of the presents people get are which is right well, your he could just be making it up on bit. the spot too because well, right. he's not going to open them and look no you know so like that's that's the funniest thing about this bit is like he's trying to make time with her obviously and he doesn't even have to like prove that he knows anything about what's in those boxes. He just has to come up with plausible ideas. Right. And he ends with, um, the last box she holds up to ask him what's in it. It's a, a bottle of massage oil and a book on Tantra from a wacky aunt. (laughs) So then Claire looks at the tag and it's from their supposedly someone named aunt Millie. So like he got lucky enough on that, that now he's, you know, almost got her convinced that he knows what people are getting right yeah that was a that was a fun scene for sure yeah so it's at this point that he leaves claire for now um and rejoins jeremy jeremy is spotted oh go ahead jump in is this where they discuss that she's giving the speech yet or no sorry i might have jumped no i don't think they've discussed that yet because uh her mother comes to grab her to do pictures is why she leaves. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. At this point, um, a woman spots Jeremy that he has seen from 
a previous wedding. He took her home, so she recognizes him. Um, and this maybe didn't age very well either, necessarily, but uh, they play it off that he doesn't have any memory of her if he had met her before, because he came up too fast while scuba diving, lost his entire memory, and now no longer can speak or hear. So he does the most ridiculous not actually sign language that anyone's ever seen. Supposedly he signs to John that he wants to go to the bathroom and get crab cakes. John says this, but then Jeremy very insistently signs again, air quotes around that, that he wants crab cakes and then the bathroom in that order. (laughs) Must love those crab cakes. Apparently. (laughs) So this woman apparently has a flight to Spain so she's not sticking around for the reception, so the boys are still able to be on the prowl. Yeah. Just again, another clear, you know, instant where how far they're willing to take, like, the lie just to save their skin, you know? Just ri- to ridiculous states. Yeah, yeah. It, talk about being the best uh, improvisational actor ever if this was real, right? Like, you'd have to be on your toes at all times. You just come up well and the thing is is these guys are definitely probably prepared for that stuff based on all these yeah rules. they have so many stories i'm sure yeah and the rules they live by like you know i'm sure they got a backup plan for a backup plan it's it's pretty funny right so now that this woman who recognized jeremy has left the boys go about their normal things jeremy is doing um balloon animals for kids and john is dancing with the flower girl Jeremy has one kid finally come up to him and say, I want a bicycle. (laughs) He's kind of like, that's a lot of balloons. How about something like a snake? Yeah. Um, To which the kid responds, make me a bicycle clown. Clown. Shut your mouth, funny guy, and make it. (laughs) He's like, why are you yelling at me? (laughs) This was pretty funny. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he eventually makes the bicycle, which is like eight feet wide. I feel like it's massive. The, The kid just seems totally unimpressed, like... He's just sick of it. I don't know if he was tired of waiting, but yeah, that was a demanding brat. But like... Well, and it's not going to hold up too. Like the best thing about smaller ones is like, you know, they hold their shape. Yeah. But like you can't like twist and make a bicycle that's going to like, quote unquote, stand up on its own. You know, he used like 18 different balloons. It yeah. Looked like. It was pretty, pretty elaborate. You know, I was quite outrageous. Um, Yeah. So this time it's around this time too, where... Uh, Gloria walks up to him and kind of notices him, you know, making it. And she's like, asks for a sports forget, car, sports car. And he just says, how about a dance instead? And she's like, that's what I really wanted. You know, it's pretty, yeah. pretty smooth, you know, by both of them. There, it's kind of right. Initiating right. conversation. Um, At the same time, Kathleen, the mother of the bride is coming up to john to dance with him she says that she's been with the secretary for 30 years and we've been faithful for two of those years (laughs) yeah it's like putting off like major like just cougar vibes this entire time you know she was like eyeing him up asked if you know if he'd have a dance with someone a little more his age or something like that it was it was pretty intense Right. So at this point, once the dance is done, John goes to talk with the secretary. And this is where more of the research comes out. He talks to him about a position paper he wrote on like taxes in Micronesia. And he read it while sailing. And the secretary apparently is an avid sailor. Yeah. Asks him to come outside for a couple stogies or something. 
Yeah. Yeah, so they go for cigar time after this as uh, Jeremy feeds the we lost so many men out there line <laughs> to uh, the redhead Gloria. That's what I just to go back to like the quick three week wedding montage to when they drop that like five scenes in a row where they drop that we lost a lot of men on yeah. their part. And then she's like playing for the Yankees, <laughs> the one girl. And he's like, yeah, yeah we lost him to, to trades <laughs> and and like rough fans or something like that i was like god this well and at one point jeremy says that he was climbing mount Everest, and they lost a lot of men out there too which is a little bit more plausible but still funny yeah it's just like goes to show you that they just almost get lost in how many times they've said the same lines and it might not make sense for their current story you know it's funny. right so it's at this point now um the secretary and john are having cigar time um secretary is going on and on about his son who appears to be depressed all dressed in black painting on the dock um his name is todd he's played by keir o'donnell and in my opinion one of the funniest parts of this movie he's hilarious because it's like you would never expect if it's such an opposite to like the tone of the movie you know so it's like the perfect like odd character just on the side that just offers just an entirely different like i guess aspect you you know or, or different tone to the movie but it fits perfectly <laughs> right in the middle of this they're watching the sun todd down on the dock painting it seems and just randomly he shouts out death you are my bitch lover <laughs> and the secretary shouts back at him tell that mean ocean god i like the vibe secretary puts off just calm and cool you know doesn't get he's if he's out. really the secretary of the treasury, he's got to be on top of any possible scandal. So, like, he tries at all times, it seems, to not be embarrassed by, unfortunately, the most stereotypical uh, embarrassing child. You know, the the one that's depressed and artistic and right. appears to be gay. You know, that joke doesn't age very well. Right. Um, so it's at this point that we flash quickly to the beach away from all the people where Jeremy is feeding a line to Gloria about how Schopenhauer says that uh, we're all one when we're in danger, you know, and he ends the line with my lips are really your lips and they, they kiss. Yeah. Um, it's at this point that we go back to John and Claire comes back up. He's, and this is where she talks about the speech. She's going to give a speech that seems to be like really mean to her sister she says, you know, I never thought my sister would find someone to love until she found a guy who cares about what other people think just as much as she does. Yeah. John is saying, like, that's that's going to bomb. You need to speak from the heart. You know, I don't care how prepared you are. Uh-huh. Right. Because she thinks she's it's like, going to be. I'm a... going to keep doing the same thing. Yeah. Because she wrote it down and it's going to be funny. You know, she's excited. Thinks she'll get some laughs. And yeah, John's definitely like, eh, you're going to bomb. Yeah, he, he he gives her a line that says, true love is your soul's recognition of its counterpoint in another person, which is going to matter because she's going to mention it in her speech when it bombs. Right. So <laughs> um, is this where we jump to that kind of then a little bit? Yep. Yep. So yeah. it goes to the speech. No one is laughing, just like John predicted. I do want to touch on the best man speech a little bit. If you notice, he like says, you know, I can't. I forget these two. They're not too important. The two that are getting married at this point. Well, we don't um, see them anymore because I assume they go on their honeymoon. Right. So, 
the, he's like talking about the groom and he's like, you're the only one who showed up after my ninth trip to rehab or something. He's like, I've been sober for 10 months now. And he just looks high strong as fuck. I'm just hoping yeah, Robert, very stressed. if Robert looks, you know, at least half as relaxed, you know, hopefully it, more than that, you know, giving his best man speech tomorrow, he should do all right. I realized I never asked, is Robert the best man? Yes. Okay. Okay. So a lot of pressure, man. It's it's a big deal. I mean, to be frank, the only thing I've ever done in a wedding was being an usher and like that it was stressful for me. I'm a high strung person, so I'm not sure I could handle being a best man. Yeah. I I just think um I should be able to avoid it, I think, throughout my entire life. Yes. Don't don't get too close with people that they want to have <laughs> you be their best man, but just be good enough that you get to be in the wedding yeah. party and go I have one go friend, for drinks and pictures. Yeah, I have one friend that might make the the decision but but that's remained to be seen he has to find you know a woman first so right and that's a, the real question yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> so um shortly after uh she gives her speech she goes to meet john in the back of the area right or in the back of like this tent because it's an outdoor reception almost like looks like by like the punch table or yeah, something yeah. yeah like hors d'oeuvres or like drink table or something like that and as she's just walking up to John, immediately we see Bradley Cooper fucking dive in there and start making out with her. Um, his name is Sack Lodge, and apparently they are currently dating. You heard that right, people. S-A-C-K. Sack Lodge. <laughs> he is so incredibly good here. He's just fucking hamming it up, and I just top-notch acting in my opinion yeah mostly because it's bad acting it's definitely one of the first roles i think that i saw bradley cooper in um and it's just funny to go back and watch like his this role in particular versus everything you've seen him in now lately you know it's kind of like a you know his it's almost like his guy from um hangover a little bit but this is de- definitely a little more like frat boyish, like douchebag. Right. And before this role, there is not a single thing I recognize, right? He had a recurring gig. It appears to be on, um, or he had a couple of stop- stops on Law and Order, um, a couple sitcoms maybe, but no movies at this point, I don't believe, hmm. or no movies that we would recognize. Um, so this was his first, it appears legitimate movie now that i say that all the others appear to say tv movie um yeah yeah and it was a really solid role for him really he's, got to flex how yeah how he's funny really he going for it in a lot of the scenes <laughs> yeah so we get a short scene here where uh gloria pops up on the beach with jeremy and she says oh my god that was amazing I always knew my first time would be on a beach. Jeremy, we're going to be so happy together. I love you. Red alert. (laughs) Jeremy is freaking out. He runs over to John and says he's got a stage five clinger. (laughs) We need to get the hell out of here. And he's like, this is hilarious too, because then they start going back and forth about like, can't leave a man behind or you need, you know, more time to seal the deal. And then it's like, is this where he talks about, they were talking about how they had one instant at an at an Asian wedding or something. 
Yeah, and then he part. shouts, it, it was, was my, my first, first Asian. Asian. <laughs> and that's like another one of those parts where everyone kind of stops and turns to look at him. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> it's These yeah. two are out of control. Yeah, so it's at this point that Gloria invites them back to their home on the shore. You know, so like their lake house, I'm assuming. Right. Um, And she goes over to talk to Mr. Secretary, Christopher Walken. And at one point, she is both holding her breath and stomping her foot because he doesn't seem interested in letting these two strangers come to the house. Yeah. I don't know. We never get a sense at, like, how old anyone is supposed to be in this movie. You no, know? not in the slightest. Because right? Christopher Walken, he's younger here than he is now. Obviously, that's the way time works. But, um... I don't know, you but know, like, and most politicians they play as older generally even, as opposed to young people. And we see later even his mother is still alive, you know. Right, and, so, and she looks really old, Yeah, right? So, I mean, I mean, it, I, it, it's not very solid in terms of knowing how old people are. I guess the assumption we're supposed to make is that, say, Sack, Claire, Gloria, Jeremy, and John are all approximately the same age. And I Call would it say no older than thirty to thirty-five. Yeah, at right. most, right? Um, yeah. because once they're probably older than thirty-five, you're talking at a different genre of movie. You know, targeted for a different demographic. Right. You know, for sure. Um, so at the lake house, they take a yacht out there, and Sack says they're going to play some touch football in ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Todd the brother or Todd the son excuse me is in a black sweater and black pants with a gray and black striped uh, scarf on sitting on the sidelines and I just want to call out that he's dressed exactly like Gru from Despicable Me oh he died that is so true (laughs) it's so it's exactly (laughs) the same outfit I fucking love it god Um, yeah so this is where um John and Jeremy too come out of the house because they were given clothes to change. Yeah, because all they had were their tuxes, were their suits. Um, so they're just wearing like the preppiest like sweater vests and like freaking collared shirts underneath and stuff like typical. Just like yeah, to play touch football. Yeah, and then we just get um sack you know bradley cooper just like he rolling on the ground smokes jeremy yeah well like beforehand just too just like stretching and he's wearing like a rugby outfit or something it looks like yeah but, and th- there's a quick shot of him throwing a ball so hard that it knocks yeah. another family member over. just like in the background you're just like notice it it's just like oh my god this guy is ridiculous um but yeah, yeah so they go a couple of plays jeremy gets smoked john says that um He's going to purposefully throw an interception to Claire because he wants to make time with her specifically. Yeah. Um, Or he wants Jeremy to throw an interception to right. her because John is being covered by Claire. Um, To which she says, I'm going to cover you like white on rice. Which I thought was pretty funny because yeah. rice is white. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, so as he throws it, he also gets drilled, like you said, by Sack. Just like two-hand touch, but he totally like shoulders him and just lights him. Yeah, he, he lowers the shoulder and everything right in the bread basket. That was pretty funny because then he's like laying on the ground like he can't breathe. and <laughs> Yeah, and the secretary comes up and just ta- starts talking to Sack and they just walk away and leave him. <laughs> to which John then comes over to like kind of check on him, but at the same time just acts like he's, you know, overplaying it and... um you know tells him just to basically get up and suck it up like to yeah he says here if i had any air in my lungs i'd scream at you (laughs) yeah this is funny 
Um, so John is getting pissed because Jeremy ends up having Gloria take him inside. Um, Kathleen comes up to John again. This is the mother of the yeah. woman he's interested in. And she says, you should have played in your underwear. I'll get you a drink <laughs> again. Just like super aggressive, you know, in her. Yeah, approach. She, she is very on the nose at all times. God, is this then we're in the scene where Gloria is like fixing up, you know, Jeremy in the bathroom and yeah. he's got like a cut on his knee and she puts a little bit of like, I don't know, hydrogen peroxide or something. I have wipe, to think it's rubbing alcohol with rub, how yeah. pissed he gets. Right. On his scrape and he just kind of screams and she asks if if she, she should like suck on it, like talking about his knee, but then like goes immediately for his junk and she's just like, yeah. yeah. She says, where's my little friend? And Jeremy responds, he's in timeout. <laughs> yeah, because he's just been totally lit up like twice. She, if there was like a line where she must have took him under the deck in the boat for 45 minutes. So he's been pretty worn out up to this point. Right. She, she ends with, uh, don't ever leave me because she's starting to act a little bit crazy. Yeah. And he says, never. And she says, good. Cause I'd find you. <laughs> She's just that <laughs> stage five clinger. Yeah. At some point here, they start walking back downstairs and she reveals that as a child, she had hundreds of imaginary friends. I just, we we'll talk about it. I don't know. Maybe this is all true. Cause she kind of reveals stuff later on, but maybe these parts were still true. She is kind of crazy. I don't know. Right. And that's what we end up revealing or finding out is that that actually kind of is what draws Jeremy into her. He doesn't want a girl who's normal all the right. time necessarily. Right. Um, so it's at this point that the whole family sits down to dinner. And before we do that, what I wanted to mention is the whole touch football game has major first episode of su- succession vibes. Oh, right? really? Have you ever seen it? I haven't yet. Well, the very first episode, they go out and they play a game of like T-ball you know, and obviously it's all the rich people, you know, like really hamming it up and like, you know, having the hell of a time. And it actually like in that episode, there's a scene where like there's a housekeeper and her husband that is there and they have a small son. One of the kids of the succession leader, you know, and I don't remember their names because I've only seen the first episode offers the kid a million dollars if he can hit a home run writes a check holds it in front of him they pitch the ball the kid misses or or gets tagged out and so this one guy then tears the check for a million dollars up right in front of his this kid's face who had to be like less than 10 years old oh my gosh so it's just like uber competitive like this was you know at a point too right and picking on someone less fortunate they don't go malicious in this but it's like again it's the the weird powerful families you know right pick up game of sports you know yeah but anyways they're sitting down to dinner here and jeremy is offering john the eye drops again but in reality he wants to put them in sack's drink to get him to vomit yeah so he's like hung up for the rest of the night so maybe john could get some alone time with claire is the plan Right. And it's clear here that Zach is an enormous asshole. Um, As everyone bows their head for prayer, John actually does end up putting drops in Zach's drink. Zach eventually comes to say that he's seeing the Dalai Lama in order to try and control his competitive streak. (laughs) Um, Him and Claire have been dating for three and a half years. They're not yet engaged. This is perfect, like, Derek vibes from Step Brothers. 
which is mm. obviously a couple years later. Um, but just like basically bragging about knowing everyone or like all of his stories at the dinner table, you know, it's like exactly what it is. Right. So it's at this point that John and Jeremy start getting questioned about their backgrounds. They apparently uh, sustainably harvest wool from sheep to give to homeless people to make thread. And then the thread is turned into fabric for shirts and pants for homeless people. <laughs> the company is called Holy Shirts and Pants. <laughs> yeah which seems entirely like ad lib by them you know as they're talking it because i think it says it's also at this point that we should mention that jeremy again is just getting like a hand job under the table by gloria yeah <laughs> so he's just like can't even he, he's all over the place he <laughs> yeah. can't focus on a fucking thing <laughs> God. um so the the grandmother again the mother of the secretary of treasury starts mouthing off and Kathleen wants her put to bed. And as the butler, Randolph, goes to lead her away, she goes, I can do it myself, asshole. Yeah, she's just, like, snappy. Like, just chewing out everyone and stuff like that. It was, that was pretty funny, too. Right. So now, um, every, isn't it now that John had said to Claire, like, hey, you want to go for a walk later? Yeah. And then was... he goes to his room. Um, before she because uh sax starts to get pretty sick and excuse yeah, so he's excused himself excuses himself for table. bed and then claire says she wants to go get some air um and then john asks if she wants any company and she's like yeah sure but john but goes first upstairs. he goes to his room to change clothes or something <laughs> yeah and, and, and this is where in. kathleen like fucking jumps him she's <laughs> she's topless and she says i just had my tits done do you like them he's he's Um, complimentary but at the same time like obviously a little nervous which is understandable because this is the mother of the family you know it's like what the he keeps calling her kathleen and she says call me kitty cat (laughs) (laughs) this was good to which then she tells him to feel her tits and he doesn't want to be rude so he does and then she calls him a pervert and doesn't she slap him and leave I I don't know about the slip, but she covers up really quick and like yeah, turns and heads out the door. So he's just like doesn't know what to think. So he comes. Then walking. as he's walking away, Todd says, "Did mom make you feel her tits?" <laughs> it's like this guy's just everywhere and like knows everything. Oh my god, that was funny. But the scene continues as he walks down the stairs and runs into jeremy who's just freaking out he's like can't even get a word in you know he's just like i just gotta i just got molested under the table i gotta ice my balls he's like i'm just fucking dying here and then he's like yeah well in like typical owen wilson voice he's like i just had the mom just show me her tits and he's like didn't even care at first but then he's like well where is she is she still in the house did you motorboat those things? You did, didn't you? You motorboating son of a bitch. You, oh my God. Just another this one. This scene went the... so far. I know. This is another one of those, like, little rants that Vince Vaughn goes on in this movie that just, where he just is just off the rails, but it's just so perfect. Like, it's just hilarious how he delivers the lines. Yeah, so as they meet on the stairs, we now transition to following Jeremy uh-huh. instead. Um, and he goes up to his room where he finds the grandmother laying in his bed. He wakes her up and says, hey, you're in my room. And she says, well, I'm too drunk to walk. Carry me back to my room. As he's doing this, the butler catches him 
And he's like, you dog, you. Because <laughs> he knows that him and Gloria were getting it on, too. Right. God, that's funny. <laughs> so, uh, so now we're on the front stoop, and John finally has joined um, uh, Claire out there. And she says, good thing I didn't hold my breath. Yeah, because he took a while. But yeah, it's like here, he, you can tell he's a little... Um, part of it, I think, is because he obviously doesn't want to tell her that he just touched her mom's tits. But also, I think he's kind of like wants to sort of tell her the truth a little bit at this point because their conversation you know she asks him why he seems a little like concerned about stuff and whatever but um yeah a nice little moment for him nothing really comes of it though too much yeah the secretary the secretary comes out and interrupts them um says he thinks sack is sick and sends claire to go check on him right um she goes to visit him in their room and he is incredibly upset his head is sunk in the toilet um and he's being a major asshole he ends up sending her to go get him a seven up so we get the feeling that um they don't get along or mostly that he is incredibly mean to her right is this then when uh jeremy's in bed (laughs) at this point uh yes it is sorry i skipped a scene yeah so Jeremy wakes up in his bed to realize that his legs and arms have been tied to the four posts of his uh, bed as uh, Gloria is straddling atop him. She says she thinks that she's not being an adventure enough, adventurous enough for him. And that's why he's not as interested. Um, She eventually puts one of his dirty socks in his mouth with duct duct tapes it down and then we can only assume has her way with him right just the poor guy just cannot catch a break lately like this has been i just need some rest at this point (laughs) this has been an eventful day for him for sure oh man right and she's continuing to push the issue you know wants to be with him right and he hasn't yet but he will turn a corner and end up wanting that too yeah so we get a quick scene of John's room. He can't sleep, so he tiptoes over to Claire's room, listening at the door, goes back to his room. She then tiptoes out of her room, taps on his door with her fingernail, which he does hear because he's awake, Slightly. but doesn't go answer the door. Right. Then we get a scene of Sack laying on the floor of the bathroom and then f- proceeding to vomit into the Still toilet puking. again. So then we flash back to Jeremy's room, who is finally fallen asleep <laughs> after getting like attacked for the third time by Gloria. Still tied up, though. Too. Still tied up. But now there's a new hand rubbing on his face, and it turns out to be Todd, who claims that they had a moment at the dinner table. <laughs> yeah. So come to find out, Todd painted a painting of Jeremy, who is totally fucking naked with a fig leaf over his crotch. Um, god it's ridiculous todd is laying on top of him already naked and uh the door is starting to open and todd says um let's play tummy sticks yeah he's like he's like (laughs) let's (laughs) yeah whatever the hell that is and then he's like let them see us it's a good way to come out or something like that yeah so my god jeremy eventually gets todd to go hide in the closet as the secretary of treasury comes in um he doesn't even reference the fact that jeremy is tied up uh-huh. yeah he just kind of checks on the ropes painting or... <laughs> yeah and says sleep well and just leaves yeah that was a funny just nothing much was said 
for dialogue, but just like their interaction was just hilarious. Because while he's like talking to him a little bit, Todd's like half coming out of the closet, and Jeremy just keeps like waving at him yeah, while he's like, tied up. Well, like that he's not funny. even like waving; he's yeah. like shaking his head because <laughs> that's the only thing he can do. Oh, that was funny. So um, yeah, the secretary just leaves. Yeah, so Jeremy eventually gets Todd to leave him alone for the evening. He says they'll talk tomorrow once he has his energy back. Yeah, that's funny. So at the breakfast table the next morning, uh, Jeremy comes down and there is a ridiculous spread of pastries and delicious things for breakfast. Look great. Um, He says that he didn't sleep very much. It could have been the midnight rape or the gay art show. <laughs> um cool. And it's at this point that John is saying that he's not falling for Claire. He still just wants to sleep with her, supposedly. Right. And quotes the rule, rule number one, never leave a fellow crasher behind. Yeah, because... Jeremy caves to stay and loads up on 50 pounds of food on his fucking plate and covers it all in maple syrup. Says he's not going to talk to him until he's done eating or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've been in that mood before. It's like, you know, I roll out of bed. I'm not in a good mood. I need my coffee and I need something to eat and I don't want to deal with anyone until I'm done with that. Yep. Especially, I can't imagine after going through a night like he did with no sleep. (laughs) Right, right. So we get a very quick scene that's really important of Sack. He's standing in his room. He's calling an old friend who apparently knows a private investigator. Apparently, he cheated on Claire at a bachelor party uh sack did so we know for sure he's not a good guy yeah and he wants um he says at one point that he wants a wife and not a martyr so he wants her to be a homebody or like a homemaker as opposed to having a life of her own which is you know not okay to say um or to think so he event he ends the call when he finally tells his friend to find the pi and go proceeds to go vomit some more yeah so now the rest of the family is going out on the boat for a cruise, which Sack stayed behind because he was sick. Um, basically, you know, a nice scene. Uh, the senator asks um, John to do some boat work, which he claims to know how to do, but is evidently struggling at the top, which Claire comes and helps him out. Um, and they kind of just sit at the front of the boat then and start talking until John is called back to... To basically steer the, steer the boat by the senator um so yeah it's a nice little scene but really just leads up into the next scene where they land back on shore and claire and john were going to go for like a bike ride down to the beach but they're met by a freshly rejuvenated sack and a full hunting regalia ready to go yeah, hunt with, quail with a pump shotgun <laughs> <laughs> so so jeremy says so mr environmental is a hunter too to which uh, jeremy responds yeah i hunt quail they're overpopulated in this region and they are decimating the grub worm population you got a fucking problem with that yeah not nearly as much as i do with your general attire or attitude on everything but i'll shoot some birds because <laughs> he's just been lit up by the guy twice so he clearly yeah, hates yeah. us yeah <laughs> he has more reason to very <laughs> yeah. shortly here so so they're dri- trying to drive quail out of the woods and sack turns and sa- just shouts to the right everyone hauls off and shoots into the air and <laughs> john shoots his shotgun flies back like 10 feet <laughs> As Sack shoots directly into Jeremy's ass. Just gets 
full spread of pelts right in his ass cheeks. And right. It's just like as if he wasn't harmed enough on this like two day wedding trip. This was basically icing on the cake. <laughs> right. It's at this point we get immediately a scene of Gloria picking birdshot out of his bare ass. <laughs> Um, John comes to tell him they're going for a bike ride, him and Claire. And Jeremy says, I hope you flip your bike over yeah. and knock out your two front teeth, you selfish son of a bitch. <laughs> it's just like, I, in just typical, like, Vince Vaughn sarcasm, too. It's just, it's in the so intensity. Good. Yeah, it's just perfect. It was so funny. Oh, my gosh. I That line made me laugh so fucking hard as he's laying there in the most compromised position anyone could be in. It's just, you you can't do anything, you know, to to make him not go, and yet you're still trying to be pissed, and it made me laugh so hard. Right. God, that was great. That was one of the best, probably, line deliveries in the movie, for sure. That was funny. And it's so indignant, too. He's like, he's so hurt. (laughs) He's been holding that in, like... For the last day, at least, and he finally has just basically lost it, you know, at that point. <laughs> right. So so we get some real quick scenes here. Uh, Claire and John are bike riding. He goes no hands. They both pop some lame wheelies. Whatever. Yeah. Um, in the butler's quarter, Sack comes in to talk with Randolph, the butler, who is watching some soap opera. He asks where Claire is, and this is where Sack kind of realizes that maybe the two of them have feelings for each other, John and Claire, because the butler reveals that they went for a bike ride to the beach. Right. On the beach, she's asking him about his job, about his attitude. Um, and he's kind of talking related to the job about his attitude on wedding crashing. Maybe he's getting too old for it. Maybe it's not the thing for him anymore. He's in too deep and living a life he doesn't want to lead. She proceeds to sit down with him in the sand in her white skirt, which would never happen. Um, they they flirt a little bit more and play like the hand slap game, at which point um, they start talking about sack. And she says, I always assumed we'd get married, but I'm scared. I assume that's how everyone feels before they get married. Right. And he, he finally ends the conversation with, however it works out, I hope you realize that you deserve somebody great. She leans in and plants a huge kiss on him. And it just cuts away, so it's indifferent how long this goes on for, you know? Right. And one thing I guess I wish the movie would have done is, like, whether or not she really actually still wants to be with Sack, because clearly she's got some conflicted emotions, there would be a fallout of emotions for her. Whether it's realizing that she actually wants to be with John instead, or whether it's uh, anger at him for trying to seduce her, or sadness that she's you know hurt sack like this and that's never explored not in the slightest however like i had said i believe with um i forget which movie we were watching but lots of rom-coms they always have this really sad bit you know 70 percent of the way through because it makes the happy ending seem that much happier which movie dirty dancing that's the one um because it doesn't really have that so much i think this movie absolutely does yeah um, but not like he, you know, you could, you thought maybe I know what you mean, where she might react like right after the kiss, like oh shit, like right. I shouldn't have done that or something like that. And it, you know, we never get that because it just cuts away, you know. Right, and they always play her character as a really stand-up girl. Right, and obviously John is not a stand-up guy. He's he's an asshole and a liar, you know, and a womanizer. Yeah. So one of one would have expected at least for her to react negatively to this. For sure. Um. So at the dinner table now, everyone is back, and Sack proposes a toast. 
he has an announcement and he basically says outright that Claire and him are getting married. He's not proposing to her. He says, we're getting married. Right. Like it had ha- like it had happened, but we know like the night before they were talking about marriage coming up at some time in the future until they got other things settled. So this was definitely right. a shock to everyone, even Claire. Yeah, she she says she needs some air and goes outside to sit on a rope swing. Um, it's at this point that John and Jeremy exit and go out into the hall, and John says he thinks he's in love with Claire. Yeah, which, which we is- could tell, and. And yeah. I really think Jeremy could too, but and he was calling him out on it, but John finally admits it, you know. Yeah, yeah. so they kind of leave that be and then go back to focus on Jeremy and Gloria. She runs up to him and he's trying to say, you know, I don't think this relationship is going to go beyond <laughs> this weekend. She says she loves him and he says there's a difference between infatuation and love. Um like mention something about being her first time or something. Yeah, yeah. he says, obviously you have strong feelings for me because you lost your virginity to me. And he says, I'm not a virgin. I just thought that's what guys wanted to hear. So she's really just a stage five clinger because that's who she is, you know, and she lied to him too. And I really like this because his reaction to being lied to about this is really negative. And I think this is what kicks off his arc, right? Yeah. You know, because he does have an arc where he is no longer going to be a wedding crasher. And he's like, you want to know what? I don't like being lied to. And I've made other people feel this way, and that's not okay. Right. For sure. It's a simple arc, but it's an important one. Yeah. Because we don't get the scene with him and the priest yet, do we? Coming it's the up... very next thing. So okay. I believe yeah. it's supposed to be like the next morning. Is this what well, we had one quick no, scene No, it's that where... evening still. I lied. I'm sorry. We had one scene where John then talks to Claire a little bit out on the swing yeah, so that actually is after the scene. With yes, the okay, here. no, yeah, because there's repercussions coming out of the house then, yeah. Okay. Right, so, so we Jeremy get the pours scene. himself what appears to be an Irish whiskey for himself and for a priest, <laughs> asks him some incredibly inappropriate questions like, you ever jerk off? Does everything still work? Do you still get swelled up? What do you do about that? And the priest responds, you pray. <laughs> yeah. um, and he goes into like, not naming any names, but like, you know, his current relationship about being lied to, about being, you know, with a virgin, but then finding out she's not and like all sorts of stuff. It was just, yeah, he was doing a lot of talking and the priest was doing a lot of listening. Yeah. He, he ends the story with, you know, I had a imaginary friend when I was a kid and you want to know what? We played checkers every single day and that son of a bitch would let me win every single day. <laughs> yeah. So it's like he, he then uh like he realizes the priest kisses yeah. him full on the lips and then leaves. Realizes that he actually must be in love with her too, you know? She's just as crazy as he is, really. Right. Right. Yep. Um so now we're under the tree swing. John is going out to see Claire and he's like, you know, you can't marry this guy. Whereas inside right now, Sack is taking a call from the PI and has learned the true story between yeah, behind, behind uh, Jeremy and John. So what I don't understand is he says here, you know, I think you feel the same way as I do, but I'm not sure that they ever had a conversation about how they feel. All they did was kiss on the beach. Right. And I I felt like that didn't really land because we didn't get to see that conversation. Yeah. And she just gives him like a maybe and that's really all he was looking for, you know? Right. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, exactly. Um... 
So Jeremy then proceeds to come busting out of the house as grandma took a shot at him with a shotgun again. (laughs) Uh, The priest apparently turned Jeremy into the family about all of the lies that he revealed. Um, And Sack comes up and just socks John right in the gut. I couldn't tell, I guess, if it was his crotch or his gut. I thought it was his gut. Yeah, I think it's just like a midsection gut shot. Yeah. Right. So this is when they reveal the wedding plashing plans. Excuse me. Um, Claire is obviously upset because she's now been lied to. Um, and Todd in the middle of all of this shouts out, Jeremy tried to seduce me and demands the painting back from him. But Jeremy says he's taking it home with him. That was my, another great part though, is just like, I like the movie doesn't waste your time by like having Jeremy, like try to deny the, seducing right. allegations she just jumps right to like i'm keeping the painting it was a gift <laughs> like he doesn't deny it at the same time so it's just like makes it that much funnier even though we know it's not true but yeah it yeah was so funny so the secretary says there's a ferry leaving the island in 10 minutes you guys should be on it um sack says to claire he made a fool out of you and jeremy is mouthing to gloria i want you and she mouths back i love you and goes back into the house yep so months later now like at least three it seems uh we're back in their mediator office um claire has not answered any of john's letters or the candy gram he sent her and jeremy has no idea what happened to the kitten he's oh, the kitten he's like i know you're not taking care of it and then she doesn't seem to have any yeah responsibility over it so yeah that was pretty funny too right so John has decided that the best plan is to crash the engagement party. That's the way to get her back. Um, and he's he's talking with Jeremy and he's like, you know, where have you been the last few months? I can never get a hold of you. And it's obvious that he's been sneaking off to see Gloria. Right. Um, they're going to dress up as waiters and that's the way they're going to swindle their way into the engagement party. Show up in an alley at the engagement party and Jeremy doesn't show. So it's just John. Who gets let uh, in and, by the butler guy. Yeah, so yeah. he seems to be on, on board with this, you know, Which seeing as Sack makes, was an asshole to him, too. Yeah, he was a huge dick when he turned off the TV and stuff. So, yeah, it's clear, like, that a lot of people don't like Sack, really, behind the right. scenes, yeah. So, from the kitchen, because he's a waiter, uh, John sees that Claire is sitting at a table with her family and Sack, and she looks extremely unhappy. She's wearing a black dress to her engagement party. And Sack is telling what appears to be a funny story, and she's just not even reacting. Right. The secretary invites her up for a dance, father-daughter dance, you know. And it's at this point that Sack pops up in front of the, like, window into the kitchen and says, like, what does he say? I think, I fucking got you, or I see you, or something like that. Yeah, something, like, quick like that, yeah. Right, so it's at this point that Sack takes uh, John with some cronies out into the alley and beats the living shit out of him again. Yeah, um, pretty He brutal. says, if you get near my fiancé again, I'll kill you. Before asking one of his friends, did you check out the rack on that bartender? Yeah. And his crony says, you know, the bartender will come to you. You know, you don't have to worry about anything. So clearly he's still a cheating asshole. Right, and just entirely full of himself, too. Like, this guy is, like, the worst of the worst right um we get john then goes to jeremy's house to kind of ask him where he was and the door is just like unlocked so he kind of just walks in and goes and discovers him with gloria in the bedroom you know making her legs wrapped around him Yeah. yeah so um 
So it's they're fighting now. You know, the, Jeremy follows him out into the street and they're shouting at each other. And we get a really excessively long, sad montage of um, John and Claire that neither of them seems happy. You know, John or uh, Jeremy calls John a couple of times trying to get him to talk. You know, um, John is still crashing weddings now as a solo. We see Claire um, try to play like the hand slap game with with Sack, with Sack. but he's just like, "Do you not get enough attention or something?" Like he's just an yeah. ass again, right? And so this all kind of ends with um, Jeremy telling Gloria that he wants to take their relationship to the next level, and she says, "You want to watch me with another girl? What about those Brazilian twins we met at the ball game?" And he says, "I was thinking more along the lines of an engagement." So. Yeah. Him and Gloria are getting engaged. Yeah, so it's really like, you know, the guy that you didn't think would find love right away, they kind of threw you for a loop there, you know? Right. So, bear in mind, Sack and Claire apparently got engaged at the house. A few months later, Gloria and Jeremy get engaged. But now, Gloria and Jeremy are getting married before Sack and Claire, because... Uh, Claire is out getting shopping for flowers for her wedding and they're already gearing up to actually attend the wedding for Gloria and Jeremy. Right. So it's a little bit weird because they apparently threw this together really fast, but they do, Um, they do have the dad mention that she was like a bit of like an extremist, you know, how about they, yeah, how Gloria was so impetuous. Yeah. He, they had to throw her a sweet 16 birthday party when she was 13, you know, like, so a little bit right. like, right. But he can tell so, that Claire's not happy. That's the Yeah, he says, Claire yeah. Bear, what's wrong? Look, we have no way of to know what lies ahead for us in the future. The only thing we can do is use the information at hand to make the best decision possible. It's going to be fine. Your whole life is going to be fine. And she starts to cry. Yeah. Um, end of that scene where now we go to John's apartment. He The place is trashed. <laughs> Pizza boxes everywhere. Beer you know, bottles. Booze bottles everywhere. <laughs> Um, and Jeremy shows up with a sleeping bag. It is uh, John's birthday. So timeline here is a little bit weird because we thought that Jeremy was going to be staying with him very soon, but it's also been multiple months since the Cleary wedding. Right. So not sure what the deal is there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy asks him to be his best man, to which John just resoundingly replies, get out. Yeah, because he didn't think initially he was there to be part of his wedding so when he revealed right. that he was just pissed yeah so he eventually does chase him out of the house without committing to be the best man in the wedding right. um yeah, I guess it's really weird you know because they, they don't reconcile at this point when you kind of expected him to yeah it's a little i think just um more resentment that he was able to be with you know the girl when he john essentially lost everything he probably didn't think it was right fair, and when jeremy you know. didn't even want that in the first right. place right so he's almost a little bit offended that now jeremy is breaking the wedding crasher rules and falling for this girl instead of you know just being a womanizer yep yep so it's at this point that john pulls up to a random house rings the doorbell and meets an old woman in hair rollers at the door and asks if Chaz is in did you know he was in this movie when you will ferrell yeah no i had no idea did this shock you then it did i i came totally out of left field so so the mother calls Chaz down and it's fucking will ferrell (laughs) 
Um, one of the best like cameos in any it's so good because it's so short too you know um he's asking who you are who john is says he's friends with jeremy you know and uh they plan to go do some crashing what Chaz eventually reveals is that they're gonna go crash a funeral yeah because by some logic the girls are just like twice that much hornier yeah when they're sad or something yeah it's just pretty sleazy yeah, so they very quickly move on to a funeral scene where Chaz is just fucking screaming and sobbing about the guy who died trying to pick up his ex-girlfriend or widowed wife or whatever it may Whoever be. Whoever it was, yeah. Um, whereas John is visibly uncomfortable with a woman crying on his shoulder. Right. And he looks over at the mother of the decedent and this is what makes him realize something, you know, that he's been living his life all wrong, yada, yada, even though he had kind of already had that realization earlier. So right. what's the point in realizing it again? Yeah. And I think, end of scene, they don't really do anything more. Yeah. Cause he was coping with it all in the wrong way. But I think now it finally, like, he's like, God, I'm at a fucking funeral. You know, this is, like, yeah. He's like, the lies again. have crossed a line, you know, yeah. this, this, this is not acceptable anymore. You know, whether it's a wedding or a funeral or whatever, it's not okay for us to lie to create a relationship and then just not pursue it. Right. For sure. So we go to Jeremy's wedding in a church. Him and Gloria are standing at the altar. The service has already started. And John very quietly tries to sneak in the back door, <laughs> the which door of course just booms close behind in him. The cathedral style church. Yeah. Loud as Secret fun. service are about to rough him up, whereas Jeremy from the front says, Hey, hey, he's the best man. John strolls to the front, which Sack says, I don't believe it. Yeah. Um, and Claire is up there. She appears to be uh the maid of honor, right? So they're standing directly across from each other now. So it's like at um, this point, yeah, where John spends the whole time like trying to apologize Claire during the ceremony and, um, and apologize to jeremy too yeah he does yeah, both right so he's like all right i'll shut up now but he, you know he doesn't stop um claire then he gets, says then you look really pretty by the way yeah and she eventually just gets pretty upset you know because out of everything that happened and seeing him so she says i can't do this and starts to like walk down the aisle or like out the door you know Right. He, of course, goes after her and he says, will you wait for a second? I've never had a chance to explain to you why we did what we did. I crashed weddings to meet girls and business was good. It was pathetic, but it led me to you. My job or my name and my job were fake, but the feelings and the laughs were real. He then says, I crashed a funeral earlier and everyone in the place whispers. Yeah, that was a Uh bad look. But goes off talking about Jeremy and Chaz, to which point Claire is like trying to get his attention again. Like, talk to me, you know, whatever yeah. you're saying is working. So finish it off. He says, uh, I'm not asking you to marry me. I'm just asking you to not marry him. Maybe take a walk and give me a chance. That's a solid line. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's not Sack like... eventually stands up here and is about to pop him in the mouth. But instead, Jeremy decks him Finally and knocks gets him right the revenge. fuck out. For being tackled twice and shot in the ass, he finally gets to deck him right in the face. Right. And I guess I should say, shortly before he goes to punch John, Sack is revealing himself. He's screaming at Claire. He says, get your fucking ass up on that altar right now. And it's, yeah, it's depressing. You know, the guy is, the character is clearly just the worst type of control maniac in the world. Right. 
um claire had eventually just said she wasn't gonna marry him like in front of everyone and yeah that's she when he did went say to go, that. like punch him yeah yeah so it's at this point that gloria kisses jeremy um and john says to claire would it be a total cliche if i kissed you right now she says yes and then he proceeds to kiss her anyways yep so then that's pretty much gloria and jeremy get married they hop in the getaway car i guess you could call it <laughs> yep, um, with, with john and claire in the back yeah and they kind of so, just drive off i don't know there, there's one little line here that i think is important you know they're talking about you know what should we do for dinner or what do we want to do yeah. next and uh jeremy says you know there's the fujimora wedding at three <laughs> it's like why does he which know john that, is like i'm done i'm done crashing weddings i'm not doing this and claire then chips in you know our cover is that we're a folk singing group from Salt Lake City, and then they go to crash that wedding, apparently. How do you do it as a team? You're obviously not looking to hook up anymore. You're probably just going there to have a good time and just play. Yeah, as, drinks play a, and dinner and so on, you know. Play a play a riff or, you know, or be a little folk band, you know, like they said, just to have fun. Um, but yeah, like the, a little the real culmination. The question I have yeah. is like, we didn't really seem to have any differences between the two of these as we went through it. So what the fuck did I get extra in this unrated version? I don't even know. I there was a few I just kind of played along for the people oh, okay. at home. Um, I think because I was gonna bring it up here at the end. I'm glad you did. I think the uh, scene where the grandma is laying in the bed was one I don't think I saw, and he carried her out. Okay. With the butler seeing him. I don't think that was in the version. That was one of the main ones. And that was a surprisingly long scene because what, yeah. we had mentioned offline that my version was eight minutes longer than yours. Right. So somewhere along the lines, you know. Yeah, maybe they took each line like one joke further maybe. or something, you know. Right. But it wasn't but noticeable I, enough, I guess, between the two of us. I don't think that one was in the one I saw, so... I just kind of went along with that for the people. Well, Sorry. that grandma scene would not have been enough to push it over the edge. No, over the edge to be unrated. It was really a tame scene. He carries an old lady out of her room, and then the butler accuses him of being a hound dog. Yeah. You know, I mean, Seems no big deal, right? right? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what extra stuff because from for the most part, though, anything else you said, I pretty much, especially like the you know the boobs in the beginning and the couple in the middle where he's tied up like that was all in the one that i saw so I right don't know. yeah i guess i don't know i'll have to watch the regular version and now see what since you... i know it's actually on yeah, hbo see what's left out. exactly um well so perfect. what do you think of a rating for this one man i so i came in we talked about stepbrothers which i like more that came out obviously three years later um i'm gonna go with a seven i thought this is a really solid comedy uh well, I laugh a lot at I love Vince Vaughn in this movie so much. And Owen Wilson plays a great, like, he's probably technically the main character, I'd say. I would say so. You know, and, but like at the same time, it's like Owen Wilson or Vince Vaughn definitely like is the louder of the two. So he kind of commands the screen a little bit more when they're together. But um, yeah, I thought the performances were great by everyone, um, especially early Bradley Cooper. I mean, that was awesome. He's really going for it. Uh, a lot and of, really lands like all of his lines yeah nothing really seen how much of an asshole he is really lands like this this kind of character called for being like extremely over the top and he really was and i thought he pulled it off really well um so i think just really 
the only thing you have to acknowledge that like the premise of the movie like it's going ridiculous. to weddings to, to just to sleep with women is probably not the greatest thing but I, but in the end though they like acknowledge it how immature and imbecile they are and they like kind of make up for it you know by like right making both it the main characters jeremy and john do have an arc and they both leave right. the movie as changed men and i think rather than just using it as a criticism of the movie you have to acknowledge that they arc in that way because it's only mm-hmm. fair to the movie itself you know so yeah and i feel like that's common in romantic comedies is that you know you have one or both characters who are not playing the love game how it should be played or they're not they don't have the right expectations of each other and they have to take an arc to get to a point where, you know, the two romantic partners see eye to eye. This one is a little bit more extreme than others, but it's still the same basic arc. Right. Um, yeah. And it's kind of for that reason that I come in a little lower than you at a five because the arc and the stories uh, or like the way the characters change seems very formulaic. They go from being assholes to being good guys. You know, they meet women at, as they're doing their debauchery, you know, that make them change their ways, which is pretty stereotypical. Right. What keeps this at a five, though, is just how good the jokes are. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of them, too. Between the one-liners, between the physical comedy, I was laughing a bunch. Um, I think seeing this as an older not as an older guy but you know as something you know later on in my late 20s here is it didn't work as well for me anymore you know but i still think it was funny yeah perfect well yeah that kind of wraps up um our little review of wedding crashers god it's gonna be fun i love vince vaughn like there was one scene i wanted well i don't really need to talk about but like when he like feels threatened by the secretary and he thinks the secretary's threatened by how good of a dancer he is and stuff. It's yeah. just like, I was thinking like, God, I can't wait to come on here and just talk about dancing at Scott's wedding. It's going to be a blast. So absolutely commanding the dance floor for sure. Um, well, perfect. I am stoked for what we got coming up next week, Jim. That'll be, we fun. have a stacked lineup for the next three movies. The first one, though, for our 39th episode is going to be the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man from 2002. It doesn't look like it's streaming anywhere, so find a DVD, hit a garage sale, find a way to watch it. Yes. I'm so excited because we've talked a ton about Spider-Man lately, and I haven't revisited the Tobey Maguire series in a long time, so I'm excited to just do a fucking review about it. That'll be a blast. As am I. I'm I'm looking forward to revisiting this because it's been... 19 years since this movie was released that's That's a long fucking time yeah that's ridiculous after that we have episode 40 where we are doing hunt for the wilder people this is available to stream apparently both on hulu and netflix uh taika waititi directed i think maybe written um this one comes highly recommended by recurring guest adam bramer might Um, have to come back for that one we'll have to talk to him he might like yeah yeah hopefully we can schedule him short notice for two weeks out but i know he likes that movie i'm excited and then uh the last one we've scheduled right now is for episode 41 and we will be doing luca that's the new pixar movie from disney plus this is not one of the premium ones where you got to pay 30 dollars. it should be included in your base level uh, the two little Italian boys turn into sea monsters when uh, they touch water and they are hiding in a town of normal people. So hijinks ensue is what it seems. Perfect. Yeah, a definite a mix of old. Well, old for us, I guess. Kind of middle. Hunt for Wilder People, I think, was like in 2010 or something. Yeah, it's a and, few years ago now. Yeah, and then Luke will be brand new um, on Disney+. Plus. So 
be sure to stick around. We got a lot of great stuff coming up. Um, hopefully we survive Scott's wedding this weekend. I'm sure we will, but it'll be a blast and we'll probably have stories a ton for next week. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And let us be the first podcast, Scott, to wish you uh, congratulations on your wedding. We wish you and Cassie both the best. Absolutely. Can't wait to see you guys this weekend. Um, with that said, Jim, where can you find us? As always, you can follow us on Twitter at weave underscore scene underscore that. Like us on Facebook or email us at scene that podcast at gmail.com. That's S-C-E-N-E that podcast at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thanks as always for listening to the We've Seen That Podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jim. And roll credits.